Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to the Super Revenue Brothers with Raul and Tony. In today's episode, we're going to debate does outbound still freaking work in today's world in 2023? Yes or no? Enjoy. Tony, what's good to eat in Denmark? We just talked about food off the camera. Yeah. Or off the audio. So what, what everyone is obviously kind of talking about in, you know, for Denmark is smurball. Kind of that's what everyone says. You have to like. explain. Yeah, it's basically, it's an open face sandwich. It's bread with stuff on top. Uh-huh. That's smurball. So the, the actual translation is butter bread. That's all. Um, and everyone, <laughs> everyone talks about this thing, right? Kind of... Uh, But it's actually, you know, it's good and stuff, but it's actually not, you know, the best. I think, yeah, they have some weird stuff here, which is really great, which is, what is it, um, herring? Um, yeah, herring. I herring, think. Yeah. yeah. And then kind of having this prepared in different ways, that's kind of fine. But to be honest, when you're in Copenhagen, you know, go to some of the absolutely fantastic restaurants here yeah. that have nothing to do with Denmark. Yeah. Sure, you're not on your way somewhere, grab one of those mobile things so you can check this off the, your list. But besides that, don't eat Danish food. Don't do it. It's like <laughs> there's so much, there's so many great restaurants here. It's like but, but don't, they do don't waste it. Danish food, right? As far as I know, it's like it's sort of like. But it's it's. I thought Denmark and the Danish cuisine is really known for like using regional ingredients and yeah, and yeah. Danish well, but inspired. that is no. But this is kind of the Noma Gerandium kind of thing. Yes, they're doing like local stuff or you know from local resources, also seasonal. But it's not like they're coming up with like Danish cuisine or something like this. Mm. And, you know, someone needs to tell me if that's true or wrong or, you know, but at least when I, you know, I was at Noma once, by the way, and that wasn't like, oh, this is like a Danish place. No, they come up with all kinds of crazy foodstuffs. And yes, it's locally sourced and seasonally sourced and stuff. But besides that, yeah. But I mean, you know, Noma, Gerandium, all of those places, those are just the top, 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 top ones. Mm. You're going to leave like per person, like 500 euros or something like that. I'm a fan, though. I really want to try. Like, just to have done it once, you know? Like, there's some places also in Berlin that are really nice. Berlin yeah. is much more affordable, though. Like, Oh, a thousand percent. Yes. <laughs> even yeah, even yeah, the yeah, yeah. fine dining and everything. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, we're not going to do a fine dining episode, but there's a restaurant in Berlin that's like top 20 or something in the yep. world that's like a fifth of the cost of Noma. Yeah. Um, no, I know. But if you really want to motivate the outbound team, yes, <laughs> maybe give them a spiff to uh, to go to Noma or something Oh, that's like a that. nice topic, by the way, spiffs. I, I did once, I did a talk about spiffs, and I was surprised by how many people didn't even know what that was. Not just the word in itself, but yeah. by the concept. No, but I think people in Germany just don't know. I think everyone else knows about it. Yeah. I feel it's like a German thing, like, oh, you can you can do like a, a, a sprint, like an incentive plan for this? Like, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. The first guy who I ever saw who, who knew that was a 62. I think by now he's over 65, but I think at the time he was 58, 58-year-old SDR. who He'd done that in his entire life, but he was like the best SDR you could you could think of. Yeah. And he was he was telling me about 30 years before how they were doing trips to Jamaica, trips to yes. uh, Rio de Janeiro. President's Club. Uh, yes. And like he had some wild stories. It was a whole life lifestyle where once a quarter, every single quarter, he was he was going somewhere, Miami, Rio, whatever. So if he built his whole life's career on this, that means outbound is a really old concept. Yes. Now let's come to the point here, does it still work? Is outbound dead? Should we just move on and 
live in the wonderful future of PLG and Absolutely. inbound marketing. Yes, and <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, we're not going to do any sales anymore. Mm -hmm. We're just going to rely on virality. Everything's going to go viral. And uh, that's how we're going to make money. And I mean, the product is going to convert itself yes. and you just need to build it and they will come. Yes. You know, all of these things are true. So really, you know, this whole outbound thing, maybe it's just not a thing anymore. <laughs> and by the way, also, because from the VC side with one eye for me, your customer acquisition cost is going to be zero, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's really nice. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It's a nice business plan. <laughs> yes. No. So let's get serious here. Does outbound still work? And there's so many angles to this. Let me just start by saying, because I'm really good at making things more complicated than they need to be sometimes, the simplest way possible absolutely works. And it works even better than it maybe did five years ago. Okay, so number one, I think, and this is what Raul and I kind of discussed before, I think both of us are like outbound fanboys. Yeah. So, and the whole idea of this show is to kind of not always agree. So we were like struggling, uh-oh, you know, what are we going to talk about when we're all going to be, yes, and, yes, and, yes, and. So my main question, actually, in this case, especially when you say five years ago, is it is that actually true, right? Is it when you think about the sheer amount of Aaron Ross's predictable revenue book, which was 2010 or something like that, and then everyone basically doing outbound, I think by now I had a conversation with Aaron and I think he said by now he helped create 1 million SDR jobs. <laughs> That's a, Think about that. That's actually a good claim, yeah. Yes. And this is now being a channel that is you know, fully used, overused, you could say. And now we have this whole thing of AI landing. How is this still working better than five years ago? So let's go into the nitty gritty here, right? Yes. But before we do that, what, what do we mean by outbound, mm -hmm. right? And, and in the simplest term possible, outbound can be interpreted just as cold calling, can also be semi-warm calling, right? Could be all kinds of calling, but it's just reaching out to people in general. Mm. And there's different degrees to how well that works, but it, it's really a human reaching out to another human via sometimes an automated, but typically at most semi-automated channel. Yeah, And that's typically what we mean with outbound, right? We don't mean with outbound, I'm sending a mass mail of a thousand emails to someone because that's there's no really no point. You don't have all the strength of outbound there. Mm -hmm. And opposed to that would be inbound, which is things are coming in by, I would say, asynchronous channel and a non-personalized, non-person generated one-to-one -one channel. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean by outbound. Would you agree on that or would you say, well, no, you, for you, it's only a calling? No, I think it's an orchestration of different channels that a human can use in order to reach another human, if you want to be that abstract. I think it's a lot about calling. The reason why I'm kind of pushing on this calling thing all the time when I talk about outbound is really also... You know, this email blast to a thousand folks, I can probably, you know, write this for a marketing site with fewer typos than you can as an outbound SDR. So I think the real superpower of an SDR is the phone, you know, period. I think that's what it is. And maybe you have some other things to kind of add to this, but at the end of the day, and, you know, I sometimes bring this up, so I don't, I get tons of LinkedIn messages every day, you know, in mails, this whole connect and pitch pitch stepping kind of style. <laughs> I get tons of emails, you know, cold emails being sent. I don't get many phone calls. Also because I'm very protective of my phone number because I learned my lesson. This is the channel that is still, you know, not that well, it's not that swamped. It's not that busy, if you will. So this is still something you can push through and cut through the noise. And then the amount of information you are able to extract if you're good 
by having just a two or three minute phone conversation versus one email and no reply, I think it's immense. And I think it's being kind of under, underlooked. I don't want to say that. Overlooked. Overlooked. (laughs) It's being overlooked a lot. And that's why I'm a big believer in phone calls as, you know, the predominant outbound channel. Yeah. So if I really had to rank them, I would also agree that phone is probably in outbound the best channel. Mm. Uh, I would say that, and this is in disagreement with you, LinkedIn is actually much more powerful than people think it is. Tell me how that works. If you're using it right. Yeah. And using it right is exactly the opposite of people are doing it nowadays. And email is probably not maybe a supplementary channel sometimes to Mm. maybe a sequence that you're doing. Mm. If you really want to like spread out on different channels, but typically it's not what I would go by first in outbound. And so this leaves me with, I mean, LinkedIn is just, if you're going to use Xing, for example, in Germany, but let's just call it like social. Mm. Um, there, you could even argue that there's more outbound channels and <laughs> I've actually done that. So my start in my, my first foray into sales was actually field sales. And by field sales, I mean, we're not in Berlin right now, but everyone in Berlin will know Chausseestrasse or mm-hmm. Friedrichstrasse, yep. where it's just these huge streets where you just go up and down the street and you yep. knock on every door and you go in. Yep. And <laughs> that was actually wildly successful. And actually, that was my favorite kind of sales. But let's keep that for now, because that's a very specific thing where it really has to work on what you're doing it no so wait a minute this does work still yeah. i mean this is a thing that still works it's not just a knocking on doors kind of thing but it's i know a team that is selling to restaurants yeah so delivery or uh what was it? groupon was yeah. built that way delivery was built that way lieferando in germany i don't know what the equivalent is here but something mm. like that probably vault yeah and i mean you just walk up there's always someone there you know surprise yeah. um and you you try and find an area where of many of those next to one another you walk in, you have a discoveries chat. <laughs> yeah. It's not a call, it's just a chat. And then from there, you basically kind of try and book either decision maker or you close the deal right there, right? So it's like, a, it's actually very efficient. And if this is your your prospect set, uh, you will probably reach them much less so when you try and call them, yeah. right? Because they're, they're busy, they're running around. They can't just, you know, but if you're there in person, they have to address you and, and they will give you some some airtime. And, and I had the same thing at Treatwell. I don't know if you know Treatwell. It's a beauty services, spa, hairdresser, waxing, this kind of services. And basically the same model, which is a marketplace model. And the first sale I ever did in my life, in my professional career, was that kind of sale. I walked into a... I think it was like a Thai boxing studio. Yeah. And then I talked to them about that. And half an hour later, I had sold. And it's actually a much more efficient channel at the time than the phone in itself. Yeah. Okay. So let's just say... Actually, let's go through the channels just for fun. Yeah. So obviously calling... Then we have social, yep. email, then it's kind of in-person, direct mail. So actually sending like postal service mail. Yeah. What else? Do we have like another one? I mean, to some extent, you could argue that events are yeah. somewhat of a yeah. hybrid, depending on whether how many you're inviting or not. But just the fact alone, and I don't know if you've been in any events, but I've been in a couple, actually a lot of them that were not really successful, but a lot of successful events were you're basically walking up to people doing outbound 200 times a day. Yeah, It's just that they're all collected in one place. No, but when you say events, you also mean trade shows, actually. Yes, right? trade uh, shows, yeah. all kinds of real-life events. Yeah. yeah. But back to the point, why is outbound still so powerful? And I think really I would start from there and then how to do it maybe. Yeah. But why do I still believe in, in, in outbound? So the reason that it's still powerful is that it can do things that other channels cannot. And it, mm-hmm. in my opinion... I really seem quite dogmatic when I say things such as you have to do this, you have to do the other thing. I really, I think at the core I'm not. It's just a tool, right? The the point is what can this tool do that another tool cannot? Mm -hmm. And there's two things that Outbound can do that 
automated, if you want to see that, or inbound cannot do. And number one is personalization. Mm -hmm. And number two is interaction, and especially human interaction, to a level that no other can. Mm -hmm. And there's these two factors, you could even call them one if you wanted to, that just cannot, even nowadays, even with AI, cannot be taken by a machine and cannot be done in an inbound way. But what about all of this noise that you need to cut through these days, right? So, by the way, the Aaron Ross predictable revenue piece, it all started with you send on a Tuesday 100 emails to those 100 you know, prospects, and then on a Thursday you send another one, and then on the Monday you call them. I mean, that's how that sequencing game basically started. Then sales loft and outreach was built around that, right? Yeah. That warm-up touch of like an email or something like that. I mean, how do you see that? Is that something that even cuts through the noise? Are people actually opening those emails anymore? So I think email is dicey, as in most people are not even looking at them anymore. Yeah. Even if there's any hint of it having anything to do with sales, yeah. it's very difficult to get even anyone to read them. Yeah. For LinkedIn, it is much easier. And I would say that LinkedIn or social also has another huge benefit, which is just the channel alone gives you so much more stuff to personalize on, which is really what differentiates good outbound outreach on social compared to not good one. And so yeah. this is already the first. So when I do outbound sales, which I... I would say I'm still reasonably good at actually, and uh, my, my history has shown that I'm quite good at. I have a completely different approach to how basically everyone else does it, which is I do 10 outbound approaches a day, or maybe 20, that's it. I don't care about numbers, but I will close more than anybody else because I will really personalize them to, for example, if it's LinkedIn, maybe not for calling so much because I don't even know if I'm going to reach the person I want to talk to, but if I know that I have LinkedIn and I have that person, I will write 10, 15 minutes for a message. Yeah. And I'll write 10 different messages for them. I have, I will have, and this is really, I'm being extreme there. I will have no copy pasting at all. Nothing. I will have no yeah. way of describing the product that I'll copy paste. I'll have no way of saying hello that I'll copy paste. I'll completely riff it every single time in every single mail. But then I'll have eight or nine out of those 10 coming back to me. Yeah. I'll even change my messaging. I'll say in German, we differentiate very much between do and Z, which yeah, is basically yeah. the different forms of you. I'll even differentiate by that, how, how I talk to that person. I think the, so for some people listening, they might be like, okay, cool. You kind of get that done role. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, that just doesn't make any economic sense for me to have someone sit there and, you know, write those, whether they copy paste it, it doesn't even matter, right? I think some people sometimes don't think through the economics well enough to even make sure whether or not that channel is viable for them. Is there something where you kind of go like, hey, wait a minute, this, you need to actually, you know, maybe if we skip the part here, maybe you need to think about those two things first before, you know, outbound is even or should be on your radar? Yeah. Okay. So maybe just to go into that argument, like my point is not that I'm so great because I personalize, right? Mm. My point is that produces, if you do it right, more opportunities than not personalizing. So in the same amount of day, I'll be producing more opportunities than if I wasn't wasn't doing it that way. Yeah. And so that's the point here, right? So the economics of it really come down to actually I'm maybe halving my 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 cost per opportunity. No, but I mean the the thing is right, and I think this is kind of the the important bit here. I think people completely underestimate how much money they're sending to Google and Facebook yes. and, and, and LinkedIn. Agree. And then they don't realize, well, you know, does it really matter whether or not it's burning through your credit card or whether it's on your payroll? I mean, it really at the end, it doesn't matter, right? And realizing, so I'm not sure what the going rates right now are in, in, in Berlin. It's like, what, 40K a year for an SDR or something like this? High up? Okay, I don't know anymore. It's like old times. Yeah. But thinking about that and then, okay, let's just say that person is getting to, I mean, very quickly... When you think about 10 opportunities a month or something like this, very quickly it becomes a fairly cheap opportunity compared yes. to 
what you need to pay on Google or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever you're going to do, right? I mean, it's like having that comparison in the back of your head, I think is really important. Sure, people will be like, oh, but the conversion rates are different. Sure, give it a hefty bonus, give it a hefty buffer if you want to. But at the end of the day, I think those economics, you should be taking them into account at least, right? Just saying, boom, doesn't work out. I think that's a big fallacy. No, no, I'm completely on your side. I think you should really see all these channels as comparable to each other. Mm. I mean, there's you can't really compare all of them exactly the same way with each other. For example, because Outbound is maybe not as scalable or it scales differently than Google does. And so Google is not completely scalable. At some point, yeah. it just reaches a certain end. And Outbound, in a way, it is because you, the person can, can be used for different things. Either way, at some point, you should just compare the dollar value of things and, or it. the euro value. And my argument here is not that I'm a romantic and that's why I'm trying to do Outbound. It's just that it becomes much cheaper or complementary to other cheap channels. So I think, so what's pretty great about, I mean, we are fanboys here of SDRs and Outbound, but what's pretty great about this is um, you, this is demand generation. It's not demand capture, right? Google, it's demand capture. This is demand generation. You can reach out to someone that has never heard about you, the problem or anything else. You can educate them on the problem. You can try and turn them into a, a customer at the end of the day. I think that's, I think that's what's extremely powerful about this. I don't know the point I wanted to make. Give me a second. Maybe maybe I'll just add to that while, while you come up with your point. Yeah, go. So a- adding to what you just said, and also one reason why I think that Outbound is more powerful now than it was maybe before in some extent, is the rate at which we're coming up with new kinds of tools that are actually quite hard to grasp what it is they're doing mm-hmm. is actually much larger than it was five years ago. So the, the tools we were coming out five years ago were pretty simple. It was not that difficult to explain. Like even if the even if the concept was new, you were like, okay, this is basically like your funnel spreadsheet, but in, in a tool. Oh, okay, that's HubSpot. Understood. And this sort of sends emails for you. Oh, okay, so that's this CRM tool. Understood. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, tools are like, okay, this is AI coupled with this kind of revenue engine thing, where it also connects to like your CFO dashboard, and and like, okay, what the fuck does this thing do, right? Yeah. And so the fact alone that that the tools become so complex nowadays is makes it really difficult for people to even know exactly what to search for. And, and to match that exactly. And we see that, by the way, with a lot of marketing leaders who are really having a tough time coming up with the right terms. Uh, you listen to this and you consider inbound. Where would you actually put the SDR team? Would you put it to the marketing team? Because, hey, Tony said it's the demand gen function. Or would you put it to the sales leadership team? Because Raul said, well, it's a sales rep, so put it to sales. I think you can't go necessarily wrong with either way. Uh, I feel quite strongly, even though I agree that it's more of a demand gen function, that it should go to the sales team. Even though, to me, it sort of competes with, in the funnel, the same as, let's say, LinkedIn uh, ads. The only reason I would do that is because uh, of the social embeddedness and the enablement of those people mm. and the management of those people, right? And also maybe the incentivation to to, to some extent. I totally agree. So, it's, so I think, so it really depends on the skill set of the VP marketing, let me just say it like that. Yeah. If he or she knows how outbound works or SDR works, if he or she is like prepared for this high school of people to be managed, <laughs> then go ahead, do it. I think this will come at the detriment of the connection to the AEs and so forth and the career path that usually kind of leads to the AEs. I never did that like that. I had some, you know, US-based VP marketings that are a bit more um, established in this sometimes, but I never did it like this. What I actually ended up doing instead is to create its own VP function for Outbound. So I basically had a VP marketing, I had a VP, what did I call him? Uh, inside sales, mm-hmm. and then a VP sales. Yeah. 
And my rationale was, you know, then otherwise I would put it under the VP of sales, but my rationale was basically like, okay, do I really wanna, you know, that guy that I trust with closing business, VP of sales and the team below, do I really also put 50% of my revenue generation kind of under his belt when he or she is actually busy with forecasting meetings and pipeline meetings and redlining and all kinds of product shit that maybe is coming his or her way? No, I actually want to have VP marketing do the 40 to 60% of revenue that they need to do. And I want to have the VP of inside sales to do, you know, the equivalent of that, just mirror it. And have those two be my demand gen leaders, very clear, crystal clear, you know, weekly demand gen calls. Like that's what you needed to achieve. Why didn't you? And so forth. And then very clear sales execution calls with the VP of sales that didn't get swamped into like, oh, you know, Jenny over there in the corner only booked five meetings. Yeah. What are you going to do about that? Right. Kind of really separating those two things out helped, helped me actually quite a lot executing on this thing. I agree. And it's also a culture thing. So if <laughs> I remember one unnamed team that I was sort of building up or part of from more of the revenue upside, we called ourselves sort of in sales. I think it was degenerates who like it that way. This is what sales is. And really, so one thing that I, I so my, my first mentor in sales, Manoj Haraskama, by the way, if he listens to that one, then shout out. He taught me a lot about sales. And one of the first things that he taught me is how do you walk into a room and understand whether there is money being made or not? Hmm. And to this day, I would call this as one of my interesting skills, I can really walk into a sales room and I'd sort of tell you whether it's going well or not. Because it smells of sweat. It smells like sweat. It's <laughs> loud. It's obnoxious. There's being there's, a lot of cursing. There's penises drawn on the whiteboards. Yeah. Like there's like all kinds of inappropriate things happening. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that's exactly the, the point that makes it important, but it's there's sort of a culture that, that makes it so that people can endure the really difficult job because it's really underestimated how difficult that job is. is this? But that also swears people in together. You have to... Even if everyone's on their own, it's like a school class going on a trip. Yeah. Like this is how SDR, SDR or even sales itself feels like. And is this really the same people you want to put together with the marketing person who has a master's degree, would have done either finance or like what's work on spreadsheets? Probably not. I mean, so I think we need to be careful here. So, I mean, some of that boiler room brosy culture thing, I think that's, I've seen this many, many, many times, by the way, and it can work out. I've also seen teams that are, let's just, you know, be like much more inclusive than that, right? So I, I've seen teams that are actually 50-50, like, and so forth. And the culture at the end of the day is the same thing, though, right? Yeah. Kind of, you have this same, let's go at it together. You have you have this, I sometimes call it kind of this gunslinger feeling yeah. and being extremely successful in this whole process, actually. So it's, I think what what will, you know, be difficult for your culture if you do it is you will start now having a lot of turnover in your organization suddenly. And you will add those. And, you know, we had another episode about, you know, single step and two step process here. But if you add a dedicated SDR function, you will do a lot of performance management, aka you will be firing a lot of people. You will be handing out performance improvement plans. It will not be a family team anymore. It will be a team of like, you know, sports professionals. And if they don't perform, they're out. And while you generally would agree that's the case already, you know, on the marketing team and product team and so forth, on the outbound SDR side, it's much more, let's just say, cutthroat than that. And you will see within a month or two if someone's going to make it, right? And I think you need to reinforce your culture a little bit around that that suddenly is going to happen. And what you also sometimes get is just a lot of junior sales, uh, a lot of junior, you know what, a lot of young people. Yeah. And there's wonderful stuff that comes with lots of young people running out in your organization. And then there's lots of not so wonderful stuff that comes yeah. out of that. And you need to be totally prepared for that happening, actually. 
Yeah, it's not a coincidence that I said it's like a school class on a school trip, right? No, so, yeah, it's a high school so team. Yeah, it's exactly. It's not, and it's even not about gender in itself. It's really just the, the atmosphere of things. Like people are exploring, they're wild, they're partying, they, but they need all that. And it, they sort of also lets them stick together. Yeah. And they'll be fine if they leave after a while, even sometimes. So one, one other thing that I kind of ran into a lot. So I was part of building out an outbound function twice from scratch. One, you know, once in the lead, one was just a spectator. And there was one major difference. And just for everyone, you know, kind of listening, maybe thinking about that themselves. If you have a team that is predominantly inbound led right now, whether or not those inbounds are demo requests or, you know, product qualified leads or whatever it might be. And your AE team only has been, you know, receiving those, those leads and close them. You will probably need to look for a different AE team once you start doing an outbound piece on the site. I'm not sure what your experience in this is, but this whole switch from order taker AE to actually selling AE, someone that, you know, in inbound, you can start a conversation, oh, what piqued your interest? Why are you here today? <laughs> what is most important for you to figure out today? If you do that same spiel on outbound calls, like, because your SDR dragged me to this meeting. Yeah. yeah? And if you have an if you have an inbound kind of AE that's not used to the situation, they're going to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, then then buy, and then you know, mark up the meeting, close it, close lose it, and kind of tell you as a leader to like, ah, outbound doesn't work for us. I think the AE team, if you want to do outbound, I think it needs to be you need to be very careful about selecting them. So I I, I would disagree here. I, I I don't think that it needs to be a, entirely a different person. I think that you can have the same person able to do both. Mm. It's probably not good if you have a person who can only do one, right? So it, it there needs to be, because at the end of the day, I want to be agnostic to where the lead comes from. I want to be to where a lead is a lead, and then there will be different kinds of leads. Let, let me rephrase then. So I agree with that. I never have seen issues with an outbound team getting inbounds. Never. Mm-hmm. Right? And you can argue maybe an in, you know maybe a specialized inbound team, somehow is better yeah, yeah, and so okay. forth. But but I think the other way around is night and day. So when you have an inbound used account executive team who now yeah. needs to also yes. work with outbound generated leads, yeah. yes, I, I I would agree with that actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but I do think it comes back to also a little bit of culture and, yeah. and also expectation management. It is an enablement topic though, and it, I, I don't think necessarily that the entire thing is so different. But it's really about okay, getting going after it, and maybe also generating sort of a demand or sort of a desire in in that yeah. person, working in a maybe more chaotically qualified lead, being okay with that. It's not. I would think that it's more like the the edges that are different that can make a difference, though. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I've really seen a transition from one to the other, to be honest. But I've seen both states, yeah. and I do think that a big difference that I would really make is enablement. If you can obviously hire people who are good in both. Yeah. And I think my last point on this is actually because it is a demand gen channel, you generating demand. Again, you're not at Google capturing demand. It is one of those channels that is actually very, very scalable. It's very similar to, let's just say you have figured out how to make Facebook work for you, or you figured out how to make LinkedIn work for you, or you figured out how to make out of home work for you, whatever it is, SDRs is one of those, I would even say golden channels if you have figured out how to make that channel work out, you can use this up until half a billion in revenue, yeah. right? It kind of, it will keep growing and driving. And there are many other channels, Google, paid search and so forth, including that actually will not act like that, right? So it's, I sometimes hear like, oh, you know, outbound doesn't work for us. Uh, and that's why we moved on. And oh, Facebook also doesn't work for us and moved on. 
It's like, no, you can't keep moving on. One of those channels you need to make work, otherwise you're not gonna blast through the 10, 20 million even, you know, yeah. with some of that stuff, right? So it's not as easy to say like, ah, outbound, first of all, generally doesn't work, and then moving on. And it's also not as simple to say, oh, it doesn't work for us, you know, specifically. It's like, no, you need to fucking figure out how to make it work. Yes. There's no way around it. And and you just said it. So I, I think the question is not even, is it good or is it not good? I said it's <laughs> better than five years ago. I think that's completely irrelevant, whether you believe me or, or Tony or whatever. Can you afford not to do it? Yeah. Like, will you become a scalable company? Which real big, let's just take with uh, SaaS, right? But let's, whatever, any kind of enterprise you go into. Which enterprise do you see that does not have some sort of outbound, especially that came up in the last 10, 15 years? None. It's, it, it doesn't exist. And why is that? Because you're just able to capture a different portion of the market. That's it. And you have a... Comp and, and I'll just rattle off a couple of things that we didn't get to talk about yet, yeah. but why is SDR so important nowadays? It gives you control in an area where inbound would not give you control and also in a phase where you need control. So I, I talked about this in another episode. If you go out into a new market and you want to try a different market, let's say you go from Denmark to Germany, how exactly are you going to do that? Is that really just going to be by spending money on Google? Or is it going to be like, okay, let's just try. We get a certain amount of reps in after a certain month. We've tried 500 calls. Mm. Or you try a new kind of market, ICP, with a beachhead approach. You will know that these are your target accounts and you'll be able to reach exactly those target accounts. Therefore, in a very short amount of time, either validating or invalidating your market hypothesis. Yeah. And the only way to do that is by really SDRs. You would have to spend an incredible amount of money to reach those people exactly that way on ABM. Yeah. So that's another approach, like the control that you have. And yes. the also the, the scalability and volume that you have, you can really go up basically by will. You cannot control that much whether you go up by, by that amount of, uh, of, of in, in Google. One one last thing I might you know add here is really the, uh, there was one quote from Jason Lemkin on Outbound specifically, and I hope I don't fumble it, but it was something to the effect of everyone needs to do Outbound. And then someone was objecting like, oh, you know, but my ACV isn't high enough uh, to do Outbound. It's like, then figure out a way to get your ICV up yes. in order to get outbound <laughs> <Yeah>. done. <laughs> I agree. I, I agree, right? And also, in, that, that's another thing. I think a lot of reasons people are not doing outbound nowadays because they don't know how. And it's sort of a lost art, really, mm. to be honest. Like it, it used to be a much more spread out art. And everyone's trying to avoid doing the hard work now and just like the machine's going to do it. The machine's not going to do it. And the machine's going to do a certain thing that it's going to be really good at. But here comes maybe my last two points why outbound is so important nowadays and more important than five to ten years ago. Number one, in a world where everyone is going to the machine, and even increasingly so with AI, and who knows what else will come, what's going to happen? Like, give it, give it a little while until the fascination subsides. And I don't even want to be a doomsday sayer here. Just the value alone of whatever it is that the AI is producing is going to drop significantly. So if you look at content nowadays, right, everyone's so, oh, my God, this AI did this picture that looks like Da Vinci, but drew Kanye West with a whatever puppy in his arms. Like, OK, amazing, right? You see that once or twice, there's novelty factor. You're amazed by the fact that it can do that. Let's go one or two years down the road. Those pictures will be worth nothing. It won't be, it won't, there won't be any value to that picture anymore. And the same thing is going to happen also. And so what is, what is the value of content going to be when content is basically going to be producible at will, free, mm -hmm. in any kind of quality you want? And how will you distinguish good content from bad content? And the same question will be the case for human conversation. So what will be the factor in sales when everyone will be able to generate the same email that is going to be able to exactly describe the product to exactly your fit? What, how will you differentiate yourself? Right? And how will you differentiate yourself when even a phone AI will be able to call you, and but it will be evident that it's a phone, by human emotion. 
and by human connection and by the only factor that humans can bring in. And I think all the AI diehards going to say like, well, all of this is going to be taken care of. Yeah. You know, it's a, so what I hear heard recently about this whole topic is like, well, you know, they're going to be able to mimic everything and anything, just like you said, just do it better. And also they can, you know, replicate any product as well. That well. It's like, and for me, it just gets to the point where it's like, okay, so it can just do everything. So, you know, there's no point I, in doing I, anything at I, that I, point. I don't believe any of that shit. So let's see, you know, I don't want to say mark my words. They are recorded. I'm probably regretted at some point when the AI is, you know, when Skynet is going to reach back <laughs> yes. at me. But no, I think we covered this outbound thing quite well. I think we could go another, you know, half an hour and kind of go deeper into this. But at the end of the day, yeah, do freaking outbound. It's probably going to be good for you. I agree. Totally. Okay. Thanks very much. I, I think we did agree on this one, but we really went to a lot of different directions. Thanks for being here. Thank you all for having me and uh, speak next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.